The cross is the primary symbol of Christianity. We all make the sign of the cross when we pray or when we want God's blessing or protection. We wear crosses on our neck, which some of us never take off. We hang crosses in our churches and in our homes. We have special Sundays, like today, on the third Sunday of Lent, that are dedicated to the Holy Cross. We sing hymns about the cross and even teach our children songs like the ones we've taught our kids here in this church many times. When you make the sign of the cross, you remember that God is the boss. We even build churches in the symbol of the cross, like our own very own Saints Constantine and Helen Church. The cross is the primary symbol identifying followers of Jesus Christ. Yet, how did the cross become the symbol of Christianity? Think about it. In Jesus' day, the cross was an instrument of cruel pain, terrible suffering, and miserable death. It was the ultimate symbol of violence and torture, darkness and evil in the world. During the time of Christ, people would shudder with fear when they thought about the cross because everyone had witnessed the horror of someone dying the slow and wretched death on the cross. So why in the world would the followers of Jesus Christ choose the cross as their symbol? It seems so strange to believe that a symbol of torture and death would become a symbol throughout the world revered and venerated on Sundays like today. The answer, I believe, is twofold. And for many of us, we will embrace the one joyfully, while the other we will struggle with. The cross represents the divine love of God, Yet the cross simultaneously reveals the path of salvation for each one of us to choose if we want to follow Christ. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The first answer of why the cross represents Christianity reveals to us the unbelievable, divine, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for the world. In the divine plan of God, He would become human and experience the human reality in its totality, which included enduring the worst mental, psychological, and physical suffering and evil a human could endure. Rejection by your own people, betrayal by one of your closest friends, abandonment by your dearest disciples, and then the most brutal, painful torture and death. God tasted the deepest darkness and evil of this fallen world. The cross was always to play the central part in the divine plan of salvation, and it is this earth-shattering event which our Lord Jesus willingly and voluntarily accepted because through it, he would save the world. Through the cross, Christ became the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Through the cross, Jesus took your and my sins and the sins of every generation upon himself and forgave us. Through the cross, our Lord tasted death, entered Hades, and destroyed the power of death over humankind. The forces of Satan in all his darkness no longer would have the final say in this fallen world. Remember, we never separate the cross from the resurrection because the cross only precedes the resurrection. As we sing in today's feast, we venerate your cross, O Christ, 
and we glorify your holy resurrection. The cross is only act one in the play of salvation. The final act is the resurrection. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Christians throughout the centuries have memorialized the cross not as a symbol of torture and death, but as a symbol of love and life. Thus, it remains the primary symbol of expressing God's unfathomable love for his creation and that path of salvation for all humankind. This first answer to our question of why and how the cross became the universal symbol of Christianity is one that all of us can readily understand and embrace. The cross of Christ reveals divine love. The second answer to why and how the cross became the universal symbol of salvation may be more difficult for us to embrace. By accepting the path of the cross, our Lord revealed to us our own path of salvation, which includes suffering. To partake in the divine mystery of salvation implies each one of us carrying our own cross. This cross we carry will remind us that in this fallen world, we will experience suffering and even death one day. Even though Jesus Christ redeemed the world, we are still waiting for the ultimate consummation with his second coming. Until that time, we live in a fallen world where evil and darkness continue to prevail. We should not be surprised by the suffering we face in whatever form it comes, but we need to properly understand suffering and be prepared for it. Suffering is not a sign of God's rejection of his beloved and abandonment of his children or the victory of evil. Suffering is simply a part of the path that can purify each one of us on our journey toward God. Carrying whatever cross we may have in our lives can unite us even more to our Savior. The Apostle Paul stated it bluntly to the Christians in Philippi, For God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for Him as well. Our ultimate goal in life is union with God, and thus we must walk with Christ and imitate Him, not only during the wondrous times of His miracles and healings in Galilee, but also in His anguish in Gethsemane and in His painful death on Golgotha. Through the cross, Jesus showed us the path into eternity, accepting divine love no matter what the cross cost, and offering sacrificial love for the salvation of others. Metropolitan Athanasius of Limassol explains, In the Orthodox Church, pain and all kinds of suffering are not abolished for the faithful, but rather they acquire a completely new merit. They are transformed. Through our courage, patience, prayers, and the constant memory of God, this bitter chalice of suffering gradually transforms into the sweet chalice of immortality. For this reason, suffering no longer becomes a source of fear and horror for Christians, but a broad field of labor and battle. If we receive that great gift of suffering, a great gift of God, suffering, in the correct way, it will become for us the source of blessings. 
If someone wants to find an answer in this life to the question of why God allows a certain circumstance to happen, then his mind will undoubtedly be filled with thousands of whys. Yet, if he were to view his ailments as a necessary trial sent to him by God, either in order to be cleansed or to be perfected, or in order to be crowned in the future life, then he would accept the chalice of suffering from the Lord's hand as a blessing. This is God's answer to man. The Lord does not give man the false promise that he will abolish suffering, but promises to transform his pain and out of a curse create blessing and consolation. Remember, we never separate the cross from the resurrection. Christ's divine act of salvation included suffering, yet ended in glory. As St. Paul highlights to each of us, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Thus, on this third Sunday of Lent, which we call the Sunday of the Cross, we remember the words of our Lord, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We embrace the cross as a reminder of God's divine and sacrificial love for all humanity, but we also welcome the cross in our lives because it gives meaning to whatever suffering we face and offers a blessing which leads to our salvation. We venerate your cross, O Christ, and we glorify your holy resurrection. Life is a journey throughout the years. As we get older, we look back and can't believe how fast the years have passed. We have many beautiful memories we remember and for which we thank God and thank the people who have journeyed with us. We may recall difficult challenges we faced, mistakes we made, people we hurt or who hurt us, and we try to forgive or repent, turning these memories over to God for healing and growth. Life is a journey over many years, and if we journey well, we grow in experience and wisdom, in mercy and love, in gratitude and grace. Yet not everyone experiences life's journey in this manner. Some people get stuck along the way, maybe from a past pain or tragedy, maybe from holding on to certain bitterness or anger or not allowing forgiveness and mercy to free us from the past, maybe by allowing our pride and ego to distort who we truly are and who we can become, maybe by getting caught up in the superficial and trivial pursuits of life, or maybe simply from our laziness, our indifference, and our lack of desire to change and grow. Life is a journey which has a particular destination but many people don't use any divine GPS to guide them on the path and thus end up not knowing where they're going. They wander around, they travel down dead ends, they go in the wrong direction, and after many years and even many decades, they end up lost, no closer to the divine destination which God calls us to discover. A journey's end into the kingdom of heaven. Today, on the fourth Sunday of Lent, we reflect on our life's journey through a particular image offered by St. John Climacus. St. John of the Latter, as he's often called, 
was a 6th century abbot of the St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai, one of the oldest monasteries in the world, located very near the place where Moses led the Israelites to encounter God and receive the Ten Commandments after he freed them from their 400 years of captivity in Egypt. As the spiritual father of this monastery, St. John wrote a classic treatise on the ladder of divine ascent, in which he carefully described life as a journey up a ladder which leads into the kingdom of heaven. Each rung of the ladder describes either the vices which we must take care to avoid or weed out of our lives, as well as the virtues we must cultivate and nurture to ascend higher and higher toward our heavenly goal. With the exception of the Bible and the service books, Metropolitan Callistos Ware describes, there's no other work in Eastern Christendom that has been studied, copied, and translated more than the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus. Why is this book so important? And why do we remember this holy monastic every year on the fourth Sunday of our Lenten journey? Precisely because St. John bluntly reminds us about the intense struggles a Christian must face in order to grow, in order to grow spiritually. A serious and sober life in Christ implies struggling on a journey into the kingdom of God, and such a journey is not for the faint-hearted or for the casual, nominal believer. Jesus once said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. Our salvation is a gift from God, and yet we open up our hearts to this precious gift by exerting great effort against our deceptive passions and opening up space in our hearts for God's Spirit to work within us. Let's take a moment to reflect on our lives and honestly evaluate where we have journeyed over the past years. How many of us can sincerely say that we are growing in our faith and we are actively growing in a Christ-centered life? Where are we compared to five years ago, ten years ago? As each year passes, do we see ourselves soberly and attentively cultivating and nurturing a living and vibrant relationship with God and a living and vibrant relationship with our neighbor? Are we growing in a deeper understanding and commitment and dedication to following the ways of the Lord and becoming better and more faithful ambassadors and servants of Christ in the world. Our faith, like our life, is a living organism that does not stay the same with the passing of time. Either we're, we are watering and nourishing our faith so that it grows and matures, or we're ignoring, or maybe even starving our spirit so that it withers and dies. Our faith, like our life, does not stay the same. There's no finish the journey status quo in the spiritual life. Either we're going forward or we're falling backward, growing or stagnating, living or dying. Thus, St. John offers advice to his monks, which can be applied to our own lives by asking us to reflect on our journey in life and consciously struggle against the passions which hinder our growth while simultaneously nourishing the virtues that lead us closer to God. What are some of the passions 
we must control and limit according to the ladder of divine ascent. Well, there's gluttony, this hypocrisy of the stomach, which when filled still moans about scarcity, when stuffed and cramped still wails about hunger. There's lust, which looks for our weak moments and viciously attacks us in our lives. There's avarice, our love for money and possessions, which may know no limits. There's our anger, which conceals hatred and nurses grievances. How about slander, a subtle yet crass disease wasting and draining away the lifeblood of love? Talkative, talkativeness, or a loose and idle tongue, which we find difficult to control. Falsehood, which cultivates dishonesty and deception. Despondency, a paralysis of the soul, a laziness of mind and neglect of our religious disciplines. Insensitivity, where we don't notice our neighbor and don't reach out in love to the one in need. How about fear? This loss of trusting in God's presence in our lives. Or vainglory, a desire to be praised by others instead of solely by God. And finally, pride, an unwillingness to discover our true selves but live under the facade of our ego. These are a number of the passions which we face, and yet do we willingly enter into the arena of our hearts and struggle against them, struggle to control, to limit, and to minimize them? Do we invite God's Spirit to fill us and empower us so that we can overcome these demonic passions that hinder our ascent up the ladder into heaven? While we struggle against the passions and temptations, we must simultaneously cultivate and nourish the virtues of God. According to St. John, these are some of the essential virtues. Obedience, humbly following the ways and teachings of the Lord. Repentance, the daughter of hope and the refusal to despair. It's the purification of our conscience. Remembrance of death. Not having a fear of death because of unrepented sins, but realizing our mortality and the brevity of life and preparing for death. Sorrow, holding fast to the blessed and joyful sorrow that leads to repentance and holy compunction. Simplicity, an enduring habit within the soul that grows indifferent to evil thoughts, but dwells peacefully in the presence of the Lord. Humility, a gentleness, kindness, an inclination to compunction, which leaves us calm in every situation, radiant, unoffended, alert, and active. Discernment, understanding the will of God at all times, in all places, and in all things. Stillness, which puts aside the noise of the world and leads us into the presence of God. Prayer, or deep and intimate communion and connection with God. And ultimately, love, agape love, which by its nature is a resemblance to God insofar as is humanly possible. It's an inebriation of our soul, an abyss of patience, a sea of humility, 
Love is the banishment of every sort of contrariness, for love knows no evil. St. John's Divine Ladder covers a wide range of vices and virtues for us to reflect upon. Yet what I want each of us to take away today is simply the fundamental idea that in order to journey toward a destination, in order to climb up the ladder of divine ascent, we must proactively struggle against our vices while cultivating our virtues. Only by being vigilant and attentive to how we live every day and by focusing on what we do each hour of the day with our words, our thoughts, our actions and inactions, only in this manner will we struggle to climb up the divine ladder that leads into the kingdom of heaven. And this strenuous climb is surely challenging, difficult and dangerous, and we won't progress simply by chance or with a lackadaisical attitude. The kingdom of God will be taken by force as we carefully and vigilantly continue our journey through Lent and attend to our journey throughout life. God will see our efforts and fill us with his grace as we strive to journey to newer and greater heights.